0: Well, hey there, gorgeous listener. This is officially the first episode of 2024. And this episode is awesome for anyone who might have New Year's fat loss ambitions. And especially if you have ever heard yourself think, I'm doing everything right, but I'm just not able to shift this weight. There must be something wrong with my hormones. Today's episode is a recording of a conversation that I had with Dr. Sadaf Jelani, a board-certified internal medicine doctor and endocrinologist with specializations in thyroid disorders, PCOS, adrenal disorders, and type 1 and 2 diabetes. She was also one of my clients in my Masters of Fitness Awesomeness program. And this conversation happened pre-podcast because she generously offered to do a and a in our Masters of Fitness Awesomeness group about all things hormones because there was so much misunderstanding happening so I'll be honest, the sound on this is kind of sucky because we were just chatting on Zoom and the video, if you're watching this on YouTube, is not that fascinating because for some reason, the Zoom recorded only me. So it's mostly just me listening. But dude, it doesn't even matter because Dr. Gilani answers all of those questions that you wish you could get a specialist appointment for. Questions like, what could possibly be wrong with my hormones that would prevent me from losing weight? I am clearly in a caloric deficit. Things like that. Or how to optimize high- thyroid function with Hashimoto's disease. Or the problem with Kiko, calories in, calories out when fighting obesity. Or, um, why you might feel better on an anti-inflammatory diet when you eliminate, um, you know, soy, wheat and dairy and the long-term effect of cortisol on weight gain. Also at what BMI weight loss is probably not worth it. Oh, dude, there's so much juicy stuff in this interview. I cannot wait for you to hear it.
1: Breaking news.
0: Your dream life isn't going to happen because you made a vision board. You're going to need goals, grit, and some woo-woo shit. This podcast is about getting clarity on what you want, having the grit to do the actual work, and most importantly, constantly training your brain to be your bitch. Ready to be inspired? Here is your host, best-selling author, Una Duncan. All right, MFers. We are here with Sadaf, who is very generously offered to teach us about hormones. She is an endocrinologist, and there's tons of MFers who have some big questions about hormones. And I want you to start with the first one that I had. So I think many of us, have had a moment in our life when we're like, what the hell is going on? I'm doing everything right. I am retaining this weight or I'm gaining weight. It doesn't make sense. There must be something going on with my hormones. So the question I want to ask you is in that case, what could be going on with the hormones and how would we diagnose that? And then what would we do about it?
1: (laughs) Okay. So, you know, for it, 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 it is frustrating when you feel like you're doing everything you need to be doing and the weight just doesn't come off. And I think it's, certainly legitimate to want to know, is there a hormonal problem that could be causing it? Truth is, there are very few hormone disorders that actually cause difficulty with weight loss or abnormal weight gain, but there are some. Uh, Hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid is probably the most common endocrine disorder that I see in my clinic. The symptoms can be very subtle, just uh, gradual weight gain or difficulty losing weight maybe a swelling in the front of the neck, maybe a sensation of just feeling more tired than normal. And there is a blood test that can test for that. It's called the TSH. And that usually gives us an idea of if the thyroid is working or not. Another disorder that can make it harder to lose weight is something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. This is usually diagnosed when people are much younger and it manifests as irregular periods or somebody who stops having periods altogether. Um, This is one of the true causes of um, a medical problem that causes not only weight gain, but great difficulty losing weight. Um, We're not quite sure of the cause of it, but these young women have ovaries that produce too much male hormone or androgens and those androgens, Interplay with something called insulin resistance. So these folks tend to gain weight really, really easily, Mm -hmm. and it's difficult for them to lose. And then there's a rare, a very rare condition called Cushing syndrome, Mm -hmm. and that's caused by a tumor. Tumor usually on the pituitary gland in your brain. Rarely it can be caused by a tumor on the adrenal glands where you are producing excess amounts of a hormone called cortisol. And this is different than fo- than when we say oh, I'm stressed. My cortisol must be. Up. This is a legitimate tumor producing excess amounts of measurable cortisol. Yeah. Um, and those folks not only have rapid weight gain, but Cushing's can be life threatening. And they. They present in such a dramatic way that it's, the weight gain or the difficulty losing is probably the least of their concerns. They lose muscle mass rapidly, but they start to have blood sugar, blood pressure issues and these are really sick people. As far as the most common diagnosable causes of hormonal-related weight gain, I would say hypothyroidism is probably the most common one, and then polycystic ovarian syndrome. Quick question about the
0: hypothyroidism. I had heard yes. that even if you're would you t s h? Yes, even if that shows within clinical normal ranges, yes. you could be suboptimal.
1: Could you speak a little bit about that? Yes, I'm glad you're asking about that. So there is this there is this internet chatter, is what I'm going to call it that well, I tested normal, but I feel hypothyroid. yeah. so that's that's like saying. Well, my blood pressure tested normal at the doctor's office, but I feel like I have high blood pressure. Right. Well, you know, your feelings don't count. I mean, if it (laughs) measures normal, it's normal. Now, there is a little bit of a subtlety in that. There are folks that I I, want to get into a little nerdy discussion of the feedback loop of your brain. TSH Mm. stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. So Mm -hmm. that's your brain signal to your thyroid. Your thyroid produces two hormones, T4 and T3. Mm-hmm. The threes and four stand for the number of iodine molecules because we use iodine through the diet to synthesize that thyroid hormone. So your brain senses the amount of T3 and T4, mm-hmm. and then it sends signals to the thyroid and it, it regulates that. So if the thyroid is failing, it's becoming underactive, your brain is going to put out more of that hormone. So that TSH level is going to rise to mm-hmm. compensate for the reduction in your own thyroid hormone levels. But what that elevation does is it maintains your T3 and T4 levels in the normal range. So it is possible that someone may notice that, hey, you know, my number kind of creeps, kind of keeps creeping up every year when they test it. The TSH is a screening test. So if it's in the normal range, what that tells you is, okay, well, we know even if something's brewing, you don't need supplementation yet. And if Mm -hmm. I notice that, if somebody brings that up and says, you know, doc, this is kind of trending up, well, then we might do more tests. We might check for something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is really super common. Um, It's the most common cause of an underactive thyroid and it's an autoimmune disease. It's usually inherited and you can check those immune markers. Uh, One of the most common consults that we get in our office is folks who have been tested for those immune markers but their thyroid level, their pituitary level, their T3, T4, those are normal. Mm-hmm. Those are not people that we put on thyroid hormone supplement because they don't need it yet. Okay, It's one okay. of those things that, okay, this is a little warning sign that in the future, you're likely to need thyroid hormone supplementation. So I think you're bringing up a good point, which is that number is a number. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's a wide range of what's considered normal. But in general, if it is testing normal, you are unlikely to have what we call a clinically significant problem, meaning, yeah, something might be brewing, but it's not what's causing you difficulty losing weight. What causes people difficulty losing weight and that weight creep throughout life is as we age, we lose muscle and (laughs) therefore we're less effective at burning calories. And that's that's a hard thing to tell somebody is that, well, this is, this is live, this is getting older and yes, your immune markers may test positive, but that doesn't mean you need thyroid hormone at this time. So that, that is a little bit of a rabbit hole type discussion. Most primary care docs, if you test a TSH and it's normal, there's a reason they don't go further because there's not anything they're going to do about it. Okay.
0: Awesome. And I want to, I want to ask you more about the parametopause stuff and as age, but just to bring you back to the Hashimoto's thing. So if you, you could test normal for the TSH, but you could yes. have something brewing and that's called Hashimoto's. Do yes. right so far? And yes. so if, if you're in that category, is there something you can do to help optimize your thyroid function so that you don't get to?
1: Yeah, so function? these are good questions and the long and the short of it. And I'm not very popular when I say this, but it's, it is the evidence-based truth. And I want to back up and say, I'm I'm classically trained medical doctor and MD. So med school, internal medicine residency fellowship, which means everything that I am taught and all of our guidelines are based on what's called evidence based medicine, which yeah. means we have lots and lots of clinical trials that prove these things to, to be true. It's a very different type of way of health care compared to alternative medicine, which relies largely on supplements and dietary changes. You know, I've been an endocrinologist for a decade and a half, and I approach this with an open mind. And a lot of my patients come in with this question saying, I've got this autoimmune problem. It must mean I'm inflamed. So there must be something I can do to fix those immune markers. And the truth is, we have yet to discover that we don't know how to get rid of those thyroid antibodies, just like we don't know how to cure type one diabetes. That's another Mm. autoimmune endocrine disease. I have patients who are often, I see them in conjunction with a colleague in town who does a more alternative medicine approach. They're put on the standard autoimmune protocol diet, which is you eliminate dairy and soy and gluten and all of those things. I will say that the vast majority of people feel systemically better. They feel less swollen. They have more energy. Their mood is more stable. They feel better. But the vast majority of people, as you know, also have really, really bad baseline diets. So these folks are, without knowing it, probably shifting more towards whole foods, plant-based, eating out less, less sugar, less flour, and they feel better. Um, And in my my quest to try to be open-minded and maybe learn something that Western medicine doesn't know, Mm -hmm. I've actually followed the antibodies, the immune markers of many, 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 many patients who do these diets. And I'll tell you, the immune markers don't correlate with the degree Mm -hmm. of dietary restriction. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, good and bad news. The good part of it is some of these folks come to me just in a state of anxiety and despair that they've done everything that they were told they've eliminated everything and their immune marker levels don't change. So in a way it's freeing Mm -hmm. for them for me to tell them, look, that's (laughs) not giving up soy is not going to fix your thyroid problem. Yeah. Yeah. So those types of Dietary changes while applicable for people with true food allergies, for instance, if somebody has a true allergy to gluten, it's called celiac disease, Mm -hmm. their gut's Mm going to get inflamed, they may have diarrhea, it's a bad, bad thing. Those people should not have gluten. But I think some of those fad diets bleed into what's actual evidence-based medicine, So the long and the short answer is giving up those things won't necessarily change the course of your thyroid disease. It's not, if you are destined through a combination of genetics and just the natural history of the disease to become hypothyroid, you will. Mm -hmm. And those, those common elimination diets won't help. Let's talk about iodine. Iodine is important. Iodine deficiency can affect your thyroid function. In the West, most of our foods are actually fortified and we have iodine. I mean, you know, the little Morton salts, I'm sure, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you have the the same salt in Canada. We all have Morton salt Mm -hmm. Um, and it's iodized. And that's why it's iodized to prevent what's called an endemic goiter. You really only see these in practice. In third world countries, you'll see folks with these huge, 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 huge goiters. So we recommend that if you're somebody that, if you're totally into the fancy salt, the pink Himalayan salt, well, that's not iodized use a little bit of iodized salt in your cooking. You don't need iodine supplementation. That's a common Mm -hmm. thing I see Mm -hmm. folks come to me on. That Mm -hmm. can actually be bad for you and make your thyroid overactive. Mm -hmm. There's some thought for selenium. Selenium helps your body convert T4, which is the predominant active thyroid hormone that you produce to T3, Mm -hmm. which um, Mm -hmm. that conversion occurs in cells. Some soils are deficient in selenium, It's a trace element, it's a rare kind of thing, but we don't usually as a rule recommend people supplementing for that. So if I see somebody that has those immune markers, I'm not going to tell them to start taking supplements. It's just I'm telling them, hey, this is something you're at risk for. So okay, I want to get this question
0: to you properly because this is kind of a summation of what so many MF first said. There were so many questions about what we can do to balance our hormones, which is the term yeah. that's used all the time. What can we right. do to balance our hormones, which I suspect is marketing speak and not medical speak, but you tell me yes. if that's true. Balance our hormones for healthy menopause, for increasing fertility to conceive, for weight loss, for weaning off breastfeeding, for anxiety. Can you speak to this idea of us balancing our hormones through lifestyle or natural supplements, or is that just something that has to happen through medication when you've reached a clinical level?
1: Yes. Okay. So you're right. If you have, you either have a disease process or you don't, if you had thyroid cancer and you had surgery and you don't have a thyroid, well, I need to replace your thyroid hormone. Mm Mm-hmm. If you are a woman who has gone through menopause and is having intolerable hot flashes and you have no family history for blood clots or breast cancer reasons, you can't have hormone replacement, then we can replace your hormones. Um, but this idea that we're somehow going to um, balance the hormones in somebody who doesn't have an actual endocrine disorder is not a thing. It's just marketing. It's marketing. Yeah. So no, no supplements, no special foods, none of that is going to accomplish, I think, what these folks are looking for. One, one little clinical pearl I always tell folks is if you are a premenopausal woman without a disease, meaning you have a functional thyroid, you don't have a tumor on your pituitary, you don't have type one diabetes. If you have regular menstrual periods, it means your reproductive axis is functioning normally the reproductive axis is your pituitary signaling to your ovaries and back that loop is functioning properly and there's no need for hormone testing we get that we get that request a lot yeah. you know i don't yeah. feel good i'm having mood swings i'm gaining weight can you check my hormones yeah. well, i can check your yeah. thyroid that's legitimate I yeah. can see mm-hmm. if you have physical signs of cushing syndrome which is that tumor producing cortisol but mm-hmm. other than those two things there's no imbalance in a woman who is having normal, regular menstrual periods. So that term, balancing the hormones, I think I do think it's a catchphrase used by the wellness industry. Yeah. And the difficult part of it is there's no magic pill. There's no magic pill for that. The counseling that I give folks going through this is that, yes, you may be gaining weight because guess what? That hour on the treadmill every day. That's not helping you. You're losing muscle mass. So you're, that's causing your metabolism to slow down, meaning less muscle. You're not going to burn as much. And so the solution isn't as easy as saying, hey, take some... DHEAS and evening primrose and a little extra yeah. vitamin D and here. I'll sell them to you for $10 mm-hmm. a bottle. Mm-hmm. That's not going <laughs> to fix things. Try 50. Yeah. Right. And, exactly. <laughs> and I think uh, if, you know, I think that folks are really drawn to those type of practitioners and those, those websites that sell that because we're human and we feel like, okay, I'm going to spend this money. I'm going to take this pill and it's going to fix and balance things, but that's cool. not a thing. Your pituitary balances things for you. And aside from the actual diagnosable medical disorders, which you can do tests for and which present clinically, they're not, they're not cryptic. It's not a thing to balance your hormones. Now, the one thing when this question was posted, the one thing I thought of is, well, you know, the one hormone that might be relevant here, since we are in a nutrition fitness group would be insulin. Yes. There is something to that. There is... Of course, identifiable diseases like type 1 diabetes, where it's an autoimmune disease, the pancreas gets attacked and stops making insulin. And these folks need hormone replacement. Insulin is a hormone, so they take, hormone, they take insulin every time they eat. There is, there is actually something to the idea of keeping your insulin levels level. And that's where a plant-forward diet with some protein, some healthy fats, Low glycemic index carbohydrates is important. There is something to that. Yep. When we consume carbohydrates, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of carbohydrates. So, you know, there's the good stuff like the legumes and the beans and the brown rice. And then there's the stuff in the middle, which is naturally occurring carbohydrates that are a little sweeter, like fruits. And then there's the bad stuff like Pop Tarts and Twinkies. Yep. And the lower glycemic index means towards the good side, takes your body longer to break those carbohydrates down into glucose into sugar molecules Mm -hmm. that stimulates your pancreas to put out insulin and then your insulin level goes up. And by eating the lower glycemic stuff combined with protein and fat, which slows the release into the bloodstream, your insulin level goes up much more slowly and then it goes down more slowly and you feel better. I'm sure a lot of folks can relate to, particularly as we get older, it is natural to become more insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. which means you do have to change your diet. You've got to be smarter about it. And folks may find that they're sensitive, meaning you go to the movies with your kids, you give in, you have that icy blood sugar spike, and then it's going to crash. Yep. And now you don't feel good and you're irritable and you're starving. It's yep. all, there is something to that. So I think that's the, that's one of the exceptions, including the actual identifiable diseases where you need to replace hormones. There is something to be said about keeping... Keeping your insulin spikes lower. So not necessarily balancing. I think that's why I was drawn to the way of eating in your program is it's, it's the right way to do it. And I say that all the
0: time. And still, I feel like there's a need. People are like, I know, but I'm hitting menopause and it's not working. Hey, hey, if you're liking this podcast, you might also like my book, Healthy as Fuck. It's an international bestseller and available wherever books are sold the audiobook is especially awesome if I do say so myself. And listen, if you go to fitfeelsgood.com slash healthy AF, I've got a ton of free bonuses for book readers. So make sure you grab those too. Okay. Back to the episode. Do you have anything else to offer people as to what's going on with their body and how they can help themselves feel like themselves? Hey, dude, if you are enjoying this episode, and you have a friend that you think might also benefit from this information, please share it with them. That helps my podcast so much. And it's going to help your friend share the love. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, that's that that would be that's a hard thing to answer. And again, that's exactly why I joined your program because right. I tell people, I was I was like, yeah, she tells people exactly what I tell them is stop it. Stop it with the, you know, walk the two miles if it makes you feel good, but that's not what's going to help you. So what yeah. I tell folks is I don't have the quick fix for you and that the truth, I think the truth is hard. And I think making those changes, it sounds really easy, doesn't it? Well, just do hit three times a week and strength train and eat less. But that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I think that's what makes this difficult is that I really wish I wish there was some magic balancing pill that I could give you. But it's not. It's these gradual changes. And I think the hard truth of it is, is that as we go through menopause, most of us are more prone to gain weight easily. And most of us are going to notice it around the belly. And most of us are going to have to eat less than we used to mm-hmm. and we're going to have to change the macronutrient composition okay. and we're going to have to watch our portions. There's no quick answer. There's no quick answer. One of the things that you, you know, one of the questions was feeling anxious and how how can you deal with that through menopause? I don't have a quick fix for that either. It's a very common thing. I talk to women about making sure you're sleeping, stress reduction, eating a balanced plant-forward diet where you don't feel hungry to to stabilize your mood. But these are hard changes that we go through and there's not a quick fix. I wanted to get to a couple of these specific questions. Um,
0: What about, so somebody wanted to ask about the long-term effect of cortisol and other stress
1: hormones on weight loss. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so your pituitary manages your cortisol. So that's, I think, another one. You know, there is... There's some truth to it, but it's complicated. If you have some type of chronic stress in your life, like socioeconomic insecurity, for instance, or an abusive relationship or a terrible job, it's true that you may be more often in flight or fight mode. So maybe your cortisol levels are quote unquote higher, not necessarily measurably super physiologic, but a little bit higher. And and there's some thought that, yeah, it is more difficult for people to lose weight because the sympathetic nervous system is rubbed up and you're going to be more in a storage state. But I think the more subtle aspect of that is that when we're stressed, we don't make the choices that we make when we're not stressed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we seek ways that our brain can get a little bit of that dopamine to help relieve some of that stress. So I don't think the answer is necessarily the measurement of cortisol levels or some kind of pill to fix that. I think the issue is more the mind work of acknowledging how that stress changes your choices. And we all know, we all know that it does. We all know that I had a bad day at work, maybe I have a glass of wine or like, or I deserve something to help me feel better. So the answer isn't a quick one. It's that stress has all these other downstream effects in your behavior.
0: Yeah. I, I totally think that's true. <laughs> Good
1: one that I wanted to address. This this question is one that I love talking about. I'm curious about hormones around weight loss, leptin and ghrelin. Oh, once yes. you've once you've been overweight obese, is it a losing battle with these hormones? This is a really, really, really tough topic to talk yeah. about. And I want to try to address that in a way that that is truthful, but doesn't discourage somebody who is considered overweight or obese. Okay. Um, So it is a fact that once you are obese and I'm going to, I know we all hate BMI, but there are certain levels that are arguably, I mean, clearly not normal. So let's say somebody is, is what's considered morbidly obese or has a body mass index of 35, 40, or in my clinic, it's not uncommon to see fifties and higher. It is actually true that once you are in that state of existence, that you do have a metabolic problem. It's not just a matter of calories in and out. But when people have reached that body weight, they reach somewhat of a set point. And as they start to reduce calories, there are hormones that will try to get them right back up. We are built, we are built for survival. So for instance, somebody tries to eat less and they go on a diet. Well, then they secrete a hormone called ghrelin that's going to make them hungry and make mm-hmm. them eat, right? It's also known that mm, obese individuals have some degree of what's called the leptin resistance. Leptin is a hormone that's released from fat cells. And we know that, that studies show in obese individuals, they have some degree of central leptin resistance. That means they have to eat more to actually feel full mentally feel full. Mm -hmm. So there really Mm -hmm. is something to that. So there is a somewhat new field called obesity medicine. And, you know, the studies are pretty clear that the vast majority of folks, and again, I'm not trying to be discouraging, but I think people need to know the, the facts, the vast majority of individuals who go on diets and try to lose weight actually are not successful at maintaining that weight loss. And the vast majority of people, I mean, really the more than three quarters, if not more, actually regain the weight. Yeah. So chasing after a number is usually going to fail, Mm -hmm. which is which is one of the points that you make in your program, which is don't look at the number and the scale. This isn't just about, this isn't about losing weight. This is about achieving a level of mental clarity with overall fitness. Um, and again, I'm not saying this to discourage those who are trying to lose weight. I think it's important for folks to understand that, yeah, this is not easy and it's not just calories um, in and out. But there are now medications that can help people with the losing weight, but the medication, there's one that, A lot of people are on a drug called Ozempic nowadays. Ozempic is a drug for type 2 diabetes, and it's an analog of an intestinal hormone called glucagon-like peptide 1. Slows the stomach emptying, makes you feel full, helps with satiety in the brain, and it's phenomenal at blood sugar control. And I'm seeing on a lot of my women's physicians group, I'm also in a women physician weight loss group. As you can see, like other women, it's a thing, right? It's a thing for us to try to figure this out for ourselves. Okay, so I'm in some of those groups as well. And I see a lot of women who are not diabetic getting on this med. Mm -hmm. And there was just a study released at our academic conference recently that when people lost tons of weight on this drug, they lose 40, 50 pounds, Okay, because you don't eat. But it's expensive, and many of them are paying a lot of money—a thousand dollars a month—for the drug, or somehow they're getting it from Canada. So a lot of people <laughs> are getting this drug, and what happens apparently in these studies when they go off of the medicine, they regain the weight. Yeah, they regain the weight. So it's it's it, you know it, it's it's a tough question, right? But there is something that once you achieve achieve such a high body mass index, it is a metabolic problem. That's why obesity is a diagnostic code that we put in our medical charts. And we know that the vast majority of the folks will not lose weight and will not be able to maintain it. So there are medications that can help, but they should be considered lifelong medications. And the Mm -hmm. tough part of that is, is that something you want to do? And is that something you need to do? And then, you know, there are the surgeries that cause weight loss the gastric bypass procedures. But in my experience, people, people can regain weight on those as well if they haven't done the mind work. If that part of it is not done, even those kinds of things can fail. And then the best example I like to give, we had a show, an American show called The Biggest Loser. You watch this show and you see folks lose hundreds and hundreds of pounds and it's this big spectacle. Well, the National Institutes of Health did a study on the Biggest Loser, and what they found was the basal metabolic rate measured in the lab the right way, not on those little scales that we use in mm-hmm. the gym. Yeah. They use the scales at the gym. Their basal metabolic rate after the weight loss, meaning how much do you put in simple terms, how much do you burn in a day mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. their dramatic weight loss, their basal metabolic rates were lower yeah. than before the weight loss, yeah. and that almost all of them went home could not sustain the extreme diet and the hours of exercise and they all regain the weight. Right. And then they're stuck with a lower basal metabolic rate than they had before. And that's, that's mind blowing, right? That's yeah. It is harder to lose weight and it is harder to maintain that weight loss. It can be done. And I think the most successful way that it's done is with slow Gradual lifestyle changes, mm-hmm. a balanced diet, regular exercise. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's it is boring, it's but a, it's true.
0: Yes. I just wanted to clarify. So when you're talking about this metabolic shift, this is for people who yes. are in really high BMIs. This is not really high who BMIs. Like 10, 20 pounds to lose.
1: Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. Now, here's something else. In those closer to normal BMIs there really wasn't much benefit shown health-wise to weight loss. So for instance, if you're fixated, and I'm not going to lie, I'm one of these people, I I like to look at (laughs) that number and I want it a certain way and, you know, I'm human. Um, So let's say somebody has a BMI of 27 and normal is 25, which I should mention if we're going to go by BMIs for Asian women, like this person here, we find that the rates of diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease actually increase over 23 so wow, if you're Indian, really low. yeah, if you're Indian and your BMI is over 23, what that means is hmm, you have a little bit of higher metabolic risk. But for the BMI that's set for Caucasians, which is 25, let's say you're a woman with a BMI of 27. First of all, as you mentioned, well, is that muscle or is that fat? And where is that fat? Is that fat in your arms or is that visceral fat, which is worse, right? So the the weight loss on the scale from a BMI of 27 to 25 actually doesn't really have a significant health benefit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the amount of effort sometimes requires unhealthy behaviors. And yep. I'm talking about people who aren't a type 2 diabetic, aren't in my clinic trying to in whom that fat loss around their organs, it, that will make a difference. That will make a difference in, in their diabetes control. So take those out of the equation. But for otherwise healthy women, there was actually shown to be, it's worse for your health to try to get from that BMI of 27 to 25, just to fit into a number. There was no health benefits and you may do ridiculous things to try to achieve that. Totally.
0: Yep. And you'll spend your life trying to do it because it's so much harder than getting down from a like 30 to a or whatever, you know, it's yes. really those last 10 pounds are hard. Yeah. And,
1: and I, I should comment, I wanted to, as part of this comment on keto, you know, keto is the super popular thing. I could comment on intermittent fasting. I call it intermittent starving, but keto, keto works. Keto works Mm short-term. You can lose tons of weight on keto, right? I will say that what I've seen, because again, I I am a consultant to my patients. I want them to do what they think they need to do and I'll measure whatever they want, you know, because people come in saying, okay, this website said, I need these. Lab. I'm like, okay, it's your money. I'll measure it. But what I find is people lose weight and they're very successful with that. And then I'll see them in a year and I'll see them in two years. Now, in the short term, the lipids go crazy. And there's a few rogue doctors out there who are like, ignore the measurable lipid. Nothing bad's going to happen. I don't know why they're saying that. It's I mean, it's it's on black and white. It's bad. These are bad lipid levels. So I find that that happens is that there is I've had folks whose bad cholesterol goes out the roof on a keto diet. But you will lose weight. People will lose weight, and I've got one guy who really has stayed keto for 5 years. So keto works short term, but then what I see, the next year the weight starts to go back up because nobody wants to keep eating that way, right? And in my opinion, A diet where an apple is bad for you, it's probably not something healthy or sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So keto works short term, but the vast majority of those patients actually regain even a little bit higher than they started because there's a psychological aspect to having restricted for so long on something that's not convenient. And, and it just, it rebounds.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. And tell us about intermittent starving.
1: Intermittent starving. Intermittent fasting. So there's a little bit of truth to it, but then there's the people who take it to the extreme of an eating disorder. Uh, I, the way I explain it, the the type of intermittent fasting that I recommend to people is. Eat an early dinner, you don't need to go to bed with a full belly because you're just going to store that you don't, you're not going to use that energy, you're going to store it probably as belly fat if you're our age. So finish dinner early and give your body some hours, give it 10 to 12 hours where you're not consuming anything. Yeah. If you don't need to, don't snack between meals because then again, you're gonna keep your insulin level, you know, kind of at baseline. So to me, there is something to intermittent fasting, which is that you don't need to constantly snack, 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 snack because you're constantly putting on insulin. And what does insulin do? Insulin stores all of that energy. So that's the type of intermittent fasting I recommend people, which is fast between your meals. You're not a toddler. You don't need a snack between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner and one at bedtime. You don't need that. Yep. So you can go four to six hours between your meals. And it's okay if you feel a little hungry, That that makes sense. And the concept is exactly what um, Jason Fong says in his book, which is that you're keeping your insulin levels low. There is something to that. Mm-hmm. Now, and there are some folks that find success with eating in an eight hour window and then they're not eating breakfast. They're just living off of coffee until lunchtime. What I have found is the vast majority of folks who lose weight that way, it's really that they're consuming less calories. It's its its less calories. Well, that's, it. that's why it works for those folks. Then you have the folks who will come to you and say, I've been doing that, but I'm not losing weight. And then you take a food recall is what we call it. And they're just consuming thousands of calories in that window because their brain has told them you should eat all those things you fantasized about. And then again, this happens in even in some of my women physicians, weight loss group, people start doing the 24 hour fast and now they're into 36 hour fast. And I think that's in the realm of disordered eating. And I think that that is effectively slowing their basal metabolic rate. So if they, if they go back to being a normal person, most of them are going to regain that weight. So I think that, that the concept of don't snack all the time, we don't need all these snacks. There is truth to that because it really does have to do with every time you have carbs, insulin is going to go up and you're going to store that. And then you're going to be hungry later if you haven't had an appropriate balanced meal with protein and fat and complex carbs. So I think intermittent fasting can work for some people if they're not overdoing their calories and if they're not using it as a replacement for doing, doing the work that it takes to meal plan to think about what you're eating and to eat when you're hungry.
0: There you go. I love it. I'll just close this conversation by asking you, what would you say is some of the most common things that you hear about the endocrine system that you would love to correct?
1: Not, not to minimize the need for smart, safe, postmenopausal hormone replacement options, because that is oh, yeah. not to minimize the fact that people, there are people with an actual underactive thyroid that need supplementation. And there are actual diseases like type one diabetes that require insulin replacement, Cushing's disease caused by tumors that need surgery. Those are real hormone disorders, but mm-hmm. the term balancing my hormones and the, the, the thought that a vitamin or an herb can do that, that's, it's just not true. Uh, and in that vein, this concept of like, you know, alkalinizing water or those kind of things, no, your kidneys do that. We, th- those are all gimmicks to take your money. The other thing that I hear a lot is this concept. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to insult anybody or hurt anybody's feelings, but this concept of adrenal fatigue. Oh yes. Please talk about that. that yeah. That's a really commonly used terminology in the alternative medicine circles. And I think and, and interestingly, the treatment for adrenal fatigue by most alternative medicine providers is stress, relief, eating healthy. Mm-hmm. But somehow those folks have this misconception that their adrenal glands aren't working properly or that they're tired. And that's really not a thing. There is a real disease called Addison's disease, which is autoimmune and your adrenals get attacked and they stop making very, very vital corticosteroids that require steroid replacement. But short of that, the idea that the adrenals are just tired, that's not really a thing. They, they work, or if they don't, you have a serious life-threatening disease that, that needs steroid replacement. Right. That, that, that one really gets my goat. This has been so helpful.
0: Thank you so, so much. And for answering these general questions, which I'm awesome. sure all MFers are going to be like glued to their seats because it's such good information. Thank you for your generosity and for having this
1: call with me. Absolutely. And just in closing, I would say that, you know, the answer to a lot of these, how do I feel better? How do I balance things? I mean, I think it's all the things that we're learning. You know, we're learning. (laughs) You got to eat a balanced diet. You got to reduce your stress. You know, these are, these are all the things. These are the answers. There's, there is no magic pill. Okay,
0: my friend, I actually had to edit the end of that interview a little bit because my kids crashed in and all of me waving my arms at them and miming exaggerated, please be quiet movements had like zero effect as parents, I'm sure you will understand. But I want to share with you three awesome resources that we talked about at the end, and I will link them in the show notes as well. So one, Dr. Gilani mentioned a site called Hormones Demystified, which is meant to help the public navigate all the stuff you hear online. When some fitness influencer says, do this because hormones. <laughs> uh, we also talked about the need for more information for women about navigating perimenopause and menopause and how so much of the information out there is fear-mongering bullshit. But we're both big fans of Dr. Jen Gunter, who, by the way, is probably my most requested guest on this podcast. But so far, I haven't been able to nail her down to get her on the show. And that could be because it's early. This is only episode 34. And I know some experts, they won't go on a podcast until they hit at least a hundred episodes. But it could also be because although listen to this drum roll, please, we are already in the top 5% of all podcasts, which is like a mind blower. And thank you so much for all the sharing you're doing. Um, I'm so appreciative of that. And those numbers are not reflected in the number of reviews. So no one would know that by just coming across the podcast. So please do leave a written review on iTunes. It helps so much. It helps me attract awesome guests. And... As you know, I'm doing a giveaway every month to reward you for taking the time to go through it and leave the review. Okay, the final resource I wanted to point you to is that I have a free webinar that is specifically about managing body changes and especially extra body fat that happens during perimenopause and menopause. As Dr. Gilani told us, there is not some mysterious hormone solution. It's really about building back the muscle that we lose with age. It's about changing your diet and managing insulin levels. And this webinar gives you everything you need to know about how to do that in a really practical way. So you can watch or listen to that right now at fitfeelsgood.com slash prime, because we're in our freaking prime, ladies. And with that, I will see you next week. Hey, dude, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you can get the next one. And by the way, if you rate and review this podcast, it really helps me get found by other people who need some goals, grit, and some woo-woo shit. And be sure to connect and DM me at Una Duncan on Instagram and let me know what you thought of the episode. Chat soon.